0: Hello and welcome to Non-Breaking Space, which you can find online at nonbreakingspace.tv. Non-Breaking Space is a show where we'll seek out the best, brightest, and smartest people on the web and talk to them about how and why they do what they do. Your hosts are Christopher Schmidt and Dave McFarlane, two web designers, authors, and trainers who have a passion for sharing knowledge about the web. I'm Chris from Canada, a web designer and podcaster. Christopher and Dave have united along to help push the record button and keep everyone on track here on Non-Breaking Space. Our guest for this episode is Jessica Hish. Jessica is a letterer, illustrator, and self-described avid interneter. She's become as well-known for her side projects as she has for her client work. She's created several educational microsites including Mom, This Is How Twitter Works, Should I Work For Free, and Don't Fear the Internet. Each as entertaining as they are helpful. Her clients include Wes Anderson, Tiffany & Company, The New York Times, Penguin Books, Target, Leo Burnett, and many others. She is currently serving on the Type Directors Club Board of Directors, and divides our time fairly evenly between San Francisco, Brooklyn, and airports en route to design and illustration conferences. So, without further ado, I'll turn it over to Christopher and Dave in their conversation with Jessica.
1: Thanks, Chris. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Hi, Christopher. Oh, it's going well. How are you? Uh, doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, I'm working on a book on uh, mobile awesome. graphics. I? Yeah, I mean, mobile graphics and web graphics and stuff like that. So, it's uh, the whole adaptive images thing has been beating me senseless trying to uh, figure everything out. So which is also everyone else is on the web is trying to figure adaptive images out too. So yeah, I shouldn't feel too bad. But cool. Um, Who yeah. are you writing that for? Uh it's gonna be for Peach Pit. So it's going to Excellent. out. There. So yeah. So really looking forward to that one. So but uh I'm looking forward to today's guests and, and talking about something totally different than graphics, uh uh JPEGs and GIFs and stuff so like that. So uh and uh with a, with a, a letterer not a topographer per se but uh, an illustrator uh, Jessica this is awesome so Jessica welcome to the show
2: thanks for having me guys
1: yeah you' bet well um, you describe yourself as an avid interneter C- could you just uh, just g- go through like how you became you know started becoming an avid interneter like like uh, you and do you do you don't you know, proclaim yourself to be a web designer like but how did you learn about the web and and use the web and with, with to promote your work and everything like that
2: well, I, I would say the avid interneter stretches a lot um, more beyond just even the the web designy crap that I do. I, I think that sort of a lot of my like social needs are satisfied by things on on the web because as everyone knows that like has a small studio or has a limited amount of people that they see on the day to day. You know, having I'm I'm a complete crazy extrovert and get all of my power from other people. So being able <laughs> to connect with strangers um, on the regular online is it really. Helps me thrive, um, and I guess it all sort of started in MIRC in my teen years. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've been on it for a while, and happened to sort of fall onto computery stuff, um, you know, at the at the right time. My mom is kind of a techie lady, uh, despite the fact that she never really had a career in in techie stuff. Um, but we had a you know a Gateway two thousand starting out nice. pretty pretty early in my life. Mm. and uh, she was always kind of on top of buying tech stuff um, as things went out. She had a Motorola StarTech phone in, like, 1996 or something like that. Nice, yeah. And I feel like I met someone really recently that had one. I think it might have been (laughs) Robin Sloan. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, so, and then in terms of uh, current stuff, I took web design classes when I was in college, but they were sort of not taught in the same way that they are now. You know, web design at that moment was all about Flash, and it was also kind of the thing that they told the print designers they had to learn when their careers in print design failed. You know, it wasn't really taught as this wonderful, (laughs) awesome thing that people actually enjoyed doing. It was kind of a fallback career Uh um, for print designers. Not, I mean, not to everyone, obviously, but that's what the print designers were sort of told. Like, hey, well, you have to learn this because you're going to have some boss down the line that wants you to lo- wants you to know it. Um, so, I didn't really have a great opinion about web design when I graduated college, and I only really ended up doing it a lot just because I wanted to be able to maintain my own portfolio site because. I am super impatient, for one thing, and also was incredibly broke getting out of school, as everybody is. Mm -hmm. And whenever I had little changes to make or anything, I wanted to be able to make them myself. And um, so eventually, I actually had, I was building all my own sites until I moved to Brooklyn, and I was sharing a studio in Studio Mates um, and had bartered with um, Cameron and, um, and his Fictive Kin crew, to do a little bit of illustration for them, if they would help me do the back end for my website, which I have also like, I have to just publicly admit that I have never made good on my contribution, so I owe them so much work. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so they here. built Oops. me this really beautiful Ruby back end, and it was awesome, and it was so fast, and it worked great. And it looked amazing. Like I signed in and I didn't have all just like the standard gray WordPress nonsense, which I now deal with on the regular. But um, the the only thing about it is that whenever I had a change to make, that wasn't just updating it with new work. I had to ask them for it. And it just felt like way too much to ask them to help me every time that I wanted to make a change. And staying on top of web stuff, as you guys know, it's like in every six months you have to make tweaks to your site just to stay current. So because I couldn't do that, I decided that I really wanted to just get down to brass tacks and like, teach myself how to actually make a proper website and not just like, badly tinker with CSS. So I ended up doing like a clean WordPress install and starting with, from scratch with Elliot Starker's theme and really building up the site from nothing and then eventually making it responsive and then eventually completely redoing it again um, and cleaning it up because as everyone knows when you first start writing any sort of HTML and CSS it looks like total gibberish and nonsense and stacked on top of stacked and completely disorganized. So um, so I got really into it because it, at first when I was in college, I felt like, um, you know, it wasn't presented in this way that made it challenging and awesome and like doing crossword puzzles. But then the more I started doing it, the more I felt like really zen about doing HTML and CSS. And then that's why I started Don't Fear the Internet because I felt so empowered by knowing this stuff and being able to edit my own portfolio and to be able to like have an idea on a Friday and have it be live on a Monday. Right. And I just felt like there were so many designers out there that were sort of told that web design was you know, too challenging and that it was something, that the technical end of it wasn't something that was desirable or something that anyone would want to do. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to sort of let people know that it was something that was fun and that you, know, you could derive a lot of pleasure from it and that ultimately you derive so much pleasure just from being able to make the projects that you want to be live, live, quickly and by yourself.
1: Right. Well, um, if you could, I just want to back up just a second and, and um, talk about your college years. Uh, and during doing research, uh, you mentioned that you were an RA in college.
2: Oh, I was. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I am like a, I am a lifetime <laughs> RA for right. sure. Wow. Right,
1: and then like, well, like, how did RA? Because like in in the interview you said like it, it kind of shaped, um, uh, I guess, your shaped your mind. I guess, and like in in your process going forward, like like how how is an RA? You know, well, what is an RA job for those people who don't who don't know? But uh, and also, well, what did you like about it? Like, how did it, you know how did it influence uh, your work? I guess in a way.
2: Sure, sure. So an RA is a resident assistant. So they're essentially the people that when you're a freshman and you move in to the dorms, uh, there's like a couple of sophomores or juniors that are around to like yell at you when you're smoking weed in the dorm. (laughs) And so... (laughs) So that was sort of me. And, but the, the thing was, I went, to, I went to Tyler School of Art, which is in Philly, and it's part of Temple University, which is a huge university. So being an RA at, at Temple, you know, they have 35,000 undergrads. It's, like a huge, it's a huge school. And so all the RAs, despite the fact that I was only being an RA at the art campus, which had like 250 people in the dorms and 1,000 total students, you know, I still had to go through the same training as all of the other RAs that were dealing with serious, crazy, huge <laughs> dorms downtown, which was sort of awesome because I had, I was an RA for three years and I had like every summer you would have a week or two of this like leadership training in which you'd learned about peer mediation and how to like deal with crises and how to like talk people down when they're having major problems and how to direct people to the proper resources and stuff like that. And I just really, I feel like that all really shaped me. I was always kind of like a helper person, like I was always uh, like the friend that helped their crazy girlfriends get through their weirdo crises cuz I wasn't necessarily a crazy person. Um, but I love surrounding myself by crazy girlfriends because I think they're amazing and they're so much more interesting than me for the most part. And I so all these skills that I learned as an RA really like influenced me in how I like deal with clients and how I deal with students that have problems that come to me, and I feel like I because I have these skills, I, I really take a lot of joy in being able to use them. So that's why I think I really like creating resources and directing people to the right places and helping people out when I can. Because I think that once you sort of have a skill that you feel like you you're good at, you know, you want to keep practicing that skill and and keep using it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like the the RA thing really influenced you know me wanting to be sort of a internet helper for a lot of people
1: so so is there like a like a special skill or like a specific skill that you you learn that help you deal with clients in some way like like that you can point oh, to yeah you?
2: i mean it's all that active listening stuff and making people feel like they're important and you know making sure that they know that you understand their side of the story and you know all that stuff really helps when you're dealing with any client because it's all just You know, it's all about making the other person on the side of the phone feel confident about you, and feel confident about that you're going to be able to take their brand and make it into this awesome thing. And I think that if if you have that skill, it just makes it so much easier to deal with clients for the like new clients, Mm -hmm. because if you can instill that sort of confidence in them, then they're way less up your butt during the entire project for sure. (laughs)
3: Right. Well, have you ever had to yell at a client for smoking pot?
2: <laughs> I have not. I would probably not <laughs> discourage that at this point in time. <laughs> and even then, it was so funny. Like um, this is a complete side story. But Russ <laughs> and I, um, we we watched some TV at home just because I need to like shut my brain off at night. And I started watching How I Met Your Mother, which is like just oh, yeah. total stupid candy on television. Right, i um, it. <laughs> but they were talking the other. I watched an episode, and they talked about how. Uh, they were smoking weed in college, but they didn't want to say weed on TV, so they called it eating sandwiches, which is exactly what I said to people in the dorms, which was really funny to hear, because I used to knock on people's doors and be like, you know you're not allowed to eat sandwiches in the dorms. If you want to eat sandwiches, go eat sandwiches outside. You know, there's plenty of places outside to eat sandwiches. And that was sort of how I told people not to smoke weed, because if oh, I gosh. actually acknowledged that they were smoking weed, then I would like get in trouble for not actually writing them up. <laughs>
3: So you've done all these projects. We're going to talk about those in a little bit, uh, all these internet projects. Should I work for free? Mom, this, this is how Twitter works, things like that. But what what is your main job? What do, you, what do you do now for people who don't know much about you?
2: Oh, sure, sure. So my main thing that I do um, is lettering work. So I'm kind of a believer in being really specific about the stuff that you want to do for a living and then being able to be kind of a generalist about anything that you have, you know, Hobbies that you want to do as a hobby or that you want to learn about, just to you know be interested in or whatever. So but I think that if if you make your portfolio really specific and you market yourself very specifically to clients, it makes it a lot easier for clients to feel confident in hiring you. So I ended up in the world of lettering, which is a really weird um, sort of subset of illustration. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would be more of a subset of graphic design because everyone thinks type and typography is related more to graphic design. But the the lettering industry works a lot more like illustration. So most of my clients are designers, art directors, um, and creative directors, whether they're at a publishing house or an advertising agency or whether they're individuals. And they hire me to do my specific thing that I do best, which is to draw um, words and phrases from scratch. So um, it works great for logotypes. It's really good for book covers and really good for advertising campaigns. So most of my client work is actually um, advertising and book covers at this point. And the, the clearest example that I can give to like why you would hire a letterer, which is versus why you would use a font or a typeface um, is say you had a book cover and you had the title of the book cover was the word love or like some four letter word. Um, and then you had a subtitle and then you had the author name. If you wanted to use the same typeface for, you know, the same type treatment for all three different, you know, points in the hierarchy, you would need to seek out a typeface that had optical weights in those three sizes, which is actually super hard to find because most typefaces, if you, if you find a text typeface, they come in a lot of different weights and sometimes different grades, um, you know, for setting text type, but they often don't come in like a super crazy display weight. And if you're looking at display typefaces, a lot of times they don't come in weights that work at smaller sizes well. Like They might have a bold, but the bold just means that the thicks get thicker, that the thins don't change. Right. And really, if you're looking at something that's going to be text weight, you need something where the contrast is really, between the thicks and thins is really different. It has to be really, really a lot closer than it is in display. So you want something where the thicks and thins are closer in weight. And, and that just makes everything more legible. You need something with a higher X height. You need something with more space. So something like that, you might not be able to find a typeface to use. So you would hire someone like me or you know anybody that has that can manipulate typefaces um, or create them, uh, create type from scratch like how I do um to actually make something custom for what your specific needs are.
3: So um, like for example, you did uh the title work for Moonrise Kingdom, is that right?
0: That is With Anderson's.
3: That is awesome. That's cool. Um now, did you handwrite everything or is there a font that actually got created out of this?
2: Well, that one is a cool project because they originally hired me to do lettering for the front credits. So, so all the larger names in the beginning were to be lettered. So I would just draw mm-hmm. them each from scratch. And mm-hmm. then the end credits were going to be a typeface that I would create. But what ended up happening was about halfway through the project, they were like, okay, great. Well, you know, hand over the text type and then I guess we'll just find another typeface to set for things like posters and stuff because we can't, you know, afford to hire you every time we want to make like a different thing on a different poster. And there's, you know, it goes in all these different countries and stuff like that. And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 you know, just give me a couple extra weeks. I'll make a display weight of the, of what we've been working with as the lettering. And then you can use it on a lot more different things. So I ended up, instead of doing lettering for the beginning and a typeface for the end, I made a typeface with two weights, a display weight and a text weight, which then they could use on everything. Cool. So, um, yeah, so typefaces work really differently than lettering. So lettering is something where you draw it specifically for the use. So if you, if you drew a word, it, you could rearrange those letters and it would look absolutely awful. But in that context that it's drawn, it looks amazing because that's the context it's meant to be in. But for typefaces, you have to create a system that can be completely repurposed and has to be kind of idiot-proof. you, know, you have to be able to rearrange the letters in endless combinations in right. endless languages that use the Latin alphabet. And it's incredibly labor-intensive. And well, so, especially
3: with scripts, because you have: to Yeah, especially the with letters, scripts. Right? And,
2: and that's the thing, too, is when they hired me, we made a clause in the contract so that I can sell the typeface commercially, but not for a year after the film's release, really? which is actually great. <laughs> Because um, I need like essentially a year to actually make it ready for commercial use. Because as it stands right now, it's in really great standing, but I would love to expand it a little bit more and really include some like weirdo characters and stuff that people might use. Because you sort of never know until people email you and are like, how come you didn't include this weird Icelandic character? And I'm like, (laughs) 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 you know, (laughs) snap. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Now I have to send an email to everybody with that one weirdo character. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so that was a really interesting project because it's I had sort of made a personal pact that it would either take a sh- ton of money or it would take... You know, me having a giant desire to work on something to do a custom typeface for someone because it is so incredibly labor-intensive, oh. um, and that project came along and really gave me the perfect excuse. It like didn't didn't pay a ton of money, as anyone knows that has ever worked for anything that's cool in the universe. You know, you get paid <laughs> you get paid in compliments from your friends more than you get paid in in money, but um, it, it paid respectively. But it was really just wanting to work with Wes and wanting to work with their team that made me want to do it for sure
3: and the, and the fact that you can now say Wes as opposed to the rest of us who say Wes Anderson because we don't
2: know him. so, <laughs> so i never probably, met him personally so i, I, I mean didn't. we talked a lot in email but it wasn't oh. We never talked over the phone and stuff but <laughs> okay.
3: well it's so interesting cuz um i mean in in many ways lettering is kind of the antithesis of the of web work, um in the sense that I mean everything you do is individualized a one off um, you know even just a single letter is a one off whereas with the web we're really trying to build this system that uh we just can once it's done, we just pour content into it and it just keeps trucking along and and we have a system where things are going to be very similar to each other, so it's interesting that you. Do that, which is so detailed. And then you also do these web projects that you've been involved in. One that I I knew, I didn't know that you were even behind this, but the Should I Work for Free, which went all over the internet when that came out, um, is an awesome project. Maybe you could describe that a little bit for people who've never heard of it. And I'll just, the URL is shouldiworkforfree.com.
2: Sure, sure. And that one's kind of funny because I think that one's the closest to being like in the same realm as lettering because it is more of a one-off. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a system that was meant to be reproduced and I don't update the content. It, it was like I created the content once, the content exists, and and that's it. It's sort of just like a, a punchline of a just website. just one page, right? It's <laughs> yeah, it's just one page. And people have suggested that I add updates to it or that I create a second chart for you know, should I intern for free and stuff like that. But it it all gets really, really specific. And I wanted it to, you know, be more of kind of like a general haha, kind of thing. Right. But um, for those that don't know about it, I, a lot of people were asking at the time, like, where do you draw the line um, for working for cheap or free when it comes to something that's going to be really amazing as a promotional project, you know, and, and, anything that if you ever do anything for like the music industry or ever do anything for, you know, if there's an amazing, anything that you like in general, the competition to work for that person is so intense that they have a lot more competitive prices, you know, in terms of what they can pay you. Like you 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 won't get paid the same for like a a really amazing cool project that you know is going to be all over the place and that there's a, an insane amount of competition to work for versus something that's kind of like a little bit of a dorky project that's more just necessary that has to happen, like those you get paid so well for. Right. And it's just <laughs> the cool stuff that you don't really get paid for. So there, the big debate that kind of uh, started this was with Google Chrome themes, um, because Google had been contacting a lot of artists, asking them if they would do themes for free because of the exposure that they would get. Um, and a bunch of illustrators wrote these really like huge write-ups about it, about how you know it's bullshit and it's outrageous that people would ask that and that they work for free for charities so that people like Google will pay them boatloads of money. Um, and so people had been, the conversation had been kind of going in circles, and a lot of people were asking everybody's opinion on it. And I wanted to be able to sort of express my opinion about when it's okay to work for free, um, but in a more humorous way that would make people actually read it. Because you know what I've been depressingly told over and over again is that long form articles just don't get read as much on the internet as you know short form punchliney stuff. Um, so I, ma- I made a flowchart in as a JPEG, and I put it up online at shouldIworkforfree.com. And then it just started going everywhere. And then okay. all these nerds wrote me and were like, <laughs> oh my God, it takes forever to load. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, of course it does. It's a 2,200 pixel wide JPEG. Like, of course it takes forever to load. But rather than like just letting that be a problem and having the reach be a lot less because people would get frustrated that it wasn't loading, which was really just because it was getting a lot of push around the internet at the moment and... You know, when you when you overload a site just for like a brief amount of time, it takes so much longer to load. So um, instead of just letting that sit up there, I spent the next day um, hand, like hand coding it in HTML and CSS um, so that it could be a lot quicker and be online. Um, and it took me like nine hours or something like that. And I put it up the next day and I think it actually ended up spreading around a lot more because I did that. Um, one, because I could put up Google Translate, which is hilarious in certain parts, because of course, it makes no <laughs> sense sometimes. Um, and I got a lot of people in other countries writing me being like, I will work for free to put up the French translation of this, <laughs> which I thought was really ironic That's and great. funny. Um, but yeah, I think, I think a lot of people appreciated that I did that. And then, um, you know, it, it made the site load really quick. And, and the nerds were pretty into it when I did that, too. So it always helps when you have the nerd's attention. And uh, what's been great is like people just have responded so amazingly to it. And photographers write me all the time that they send it around to people. People ask me that are speaking at like weird business conferences if they can show it as a slide and stuff like that. So it's been really fun to just see where it where it pops up.
3: That's great. It's totally if you, you haven't seen it, audience who's listening, uh, you got to check this out because it is really funny. Though you could update it and you say is is it Wes Anderson that's asking you? And then you <laughs> can
2: <update it>. yeah. <laughs> Well, I also I did something recently where um, a, a a dude his name was Stuart, he wrote me and asked me if I would help him proposed to his girlfriend in San Francisco oh, and man. I can I can never do projects like that because I get so many requests for like weird tattoos and stuff like that <laughs> that I just had to make like a blanket no response yeah. but his idea was so sweet that I was like oh I totally want to do this cuz it'll be really fun and I he he had every intention of like paying me for it And when we got to the end of the project, I had like gone to the restaurant in person and dropped off this artwork because he was using my artwork to propose to her. I just had to like write out her name and like, will you marry me? And then he was going to point to it on the wall at some point during their dinner so I, I just like loved this idea, and I loved the idea that he was giving her like a keepsake. And I was also in major lovey-dovey mode after Russ and I like were in the middle of planning all of our wedding stuff. <laughs> so we were nearing the end of planning the wedding stuff, which is really the only reason I was at, at, at all happy about it. And uh, so. <laughs> So I actually conspired with the restaurant of how it was going to work. And like I'm texting him and telling him that everything's cool. And in the end, he wrote me and was like, yeah, so what do I owe you for? And I was like, nothing, because it was fun and I don't care. It's more fun for me if you don't pay me. And so when I posted this online, everyone was like, you should make a separate branch for if Jessica's in lovey-dovey mode. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't think I should because then I'll get too many emails.
3: (laughs) And she said yes. Is that...
2: She did say yes. It was That's a complete good. success. I That's got emails good. from her about how wonderful it was and <laughs> it was really good.
3: So you did another project. What is this in 2009 you started the Daily Drop Cap?
2: Indeed. What, was, indeed. what, what is
3: that project?
2: So that was probably my that was my first big side project that I did and What happened was, I was leaving my day job um, with Louise Feely, who I, she was like absolutely a massive inspiration and basically jump started me into this whole world of like vintage typography stuff. I was interested in it before, but it wasn't until working for her for two and a half years that I really dug my heels in. But um, my freelance work was getting really overwhelming. And I sort of knew that I wanted to be full-time freelance at some point. And I also had a bunch of other ideas for side projects and for a typeface that I wanted to work at, work on. So I ended up, um, giving notice there. But then when I left, I knew that there would be client projects that were coming along that I didn't feel like working on. I, you know, sometimes you just do super cheesy illustration just because it pays the bills. And at that point it was definitely like, that was definitely overwhelmingly happening. Um, so I wanted something that I could do every day that I could still work on my lettering skills and make sure that I was doing lettering even when I wasn't getting hired to do it. And also just make sure that I had a way to sort of challenge myself to you know, do something really different every day, to not have to work in the same styles, to really push myself to work in a lot of different styles. So I gave myself a goal. Well, I set, I set up this site, Daily Drop Cap, and my, my whole plan was to illustrate a letter a day. Um, and my goal was to do it for 12 alphabets. So it would take about a year, a little over a year. It ended up taking about a year and a half because of travel and stuff in between. And every, every day of the week, I didn't do it on the weekends, but every weekday um, I would wake up in the morning and the first thing that I did was draw a letter. And what ended up happening was something that I completely did not foresee was that it completely shot me into like full, full force into the world of lettering. And I became mm-hmm. like one of the only people that people could instantly call up when they thought about illustrative lettering work. Um, wow. It just went on every design blog. It really, like, I was getting a lot of consistent illustration work. Like, my career was going really well. But it wasn't until I launched that that I became like more of a like a public figure. I would like, you know, that's I, I started getting asked to do speaking stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. People would write me to get my opinion about lettering for articles and things like that. So at that moment is real. That was really the turning point of when my lettering career took off. Um, So that project went on for about a year and a half. And then um, I sell prints of the letters on my site and it actually ended up spurring this really awesome project that just launched publicly, um, which I'm working with Penguin Books to do a classic series where we're doing 26 books and, and it's the full alphabet and it's going to be like a rainbow spectrum for the book. So they start at red and they end up you know, probably yeah. like back at red. And um, each of the books is chosen by the author's last name. So it's like Austin, Bronte, etc. Um, and I, the entire design is around doing a giant letter on the front cover. So it's really cool. They're, they're branding it as like penguin drop caps. And it's sort of all about the fact that I'm working wow. on it, which is awesome.
1: Oh,
3: cool. So I guess the lesson is if you are an artist toiling in obscurity, build a website and update it every day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more like show people what you're interested in yeah. doing. You know, the the I think a big problem that a lot of young folks have or a lot of people that are struggling with their careers have are they don't know how to put forth the work that they actually want to future do. Mm-hmm, you know, right. they might have work in their portfolio that they really they think is their best work but that they hated doing mm-hmm. and they'll keep it in their portfolio because it's good work, but it's not actually what they want to be doing for a living. Right. Yeah. So, it's really important that when you actually put work out there, it's the kind of work that you want to get in the future because, you know, clients are not as creative as we are and they want to hire us hire us based on the work that we've done in the past. Right. And, you know, I'm speaking to the majority of clients, not to like the amazing clients that sometimes have like vision and, and really know what they're doing. Um, but you know, the majority of clients that try and hire you, they, when they say I'm looking for a logo that is a vintage logo that incorporates a tree, they're going to look through people's portfolios that have vintage logos that incorporate trees. You know, okay. <laughs> they, they, they look for the work that they want to get. So you have to have right. the work in your portfolio that you want a future do. Right. Well, it also goes
1: into like, uh, in during research, you, you had a I think yeah. I'm going to totally paraphrase it and probably butcher the quote, and uh, you can correct me. But uh, it's like uh, if you if you're doing work and you don't like it, it's you should think about the work that you do when you're procrastinating. As yeah,
2: yeah. Actually, it's that's pretty close. So it was the work you do when you're procrastinating is the work you should be doing for the rest of your life. Right. And a big thing with that is that people are are have a hard time choosing careers because careers seem like a really huge decision. You know, like when you graduate from college, or when you're in college and you have to choose a major, like it's a huge decision. When you're assigning yourself a title as a professional, it's a huge decision. But if you look at the the micro decisions rather than the macro, it makes it a lot easier to choose the path that you want to take. So, um, if you're a student and you're listening to this, you know, look at the work that you actually enjoy doing in college. Like, don't look at it like I love doing graphic design, I love doing web design, I love doing painting. Like that's it's too macro. But if you find yourself really focusing on like, I love drawing this specific kind of thing or I love it when I can like spend four hours doing this thing that I like to do, even if it's not super sexy, that can really help influence the kind of work that you end up doing. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people make decisions about their careers based on titles and not based on what they're actually doing day to day and ultimately the what you want to end up with is a career that doesn't feel like a job. You know, you want to end up with something that you go to work and actually enjoy what you're doing for right. the 9 or 10 hours that you're at work. And if you can make those decisions based on the actual tasks that you're completing throughout the day and choose a career that has more of those tasks, then you're going to enjoy your life a lot more.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean that's like kind of basic resume building advice too is if you're really good at Microsoft Word but you don't want to do word processing all day, don't put that as like, one of your main skills. Right.
2: Exactly, exactly. right. Totally. Right. And if, if you have like, these massive desires to like switch from being a PHP person to being a Ruby person, like you're just going to keep getting crazy PHP work if you <laughs> call yourself a PHP expert, you know <laughs>
1: right. Exactly yeah, like, yeah, one of the things that I, um, I learned uh, is that I told people I had no idea how to use PowerPoint. And therefore, I, therefore, cool. I cannot, therefore, I cannot design your PowerPoint presentation. So, but uh, just because I, you know, people are like, hey, you know, PowerPoint, right? Like, yeah, I'm helpful. Yeah, I'm trying to be helpful. And like, uh, I just like turn the switch off and say, like, no, you know, and do a little white lie and I'm like, no, I don't know <laughs> anything about PowerPoint because I really don't want to be known as that guy who does PowerPoint because then you're you're stuck.
2: Yeah, doing exactly. PowerPoint. And people just, I mean. They, they, don't, they just don't know the realm of skills that are out there for the most part and they're familiar with designing in Word or designing in PowerPoint and want those as their files and they just have never worked with designers that like tell them, like, here, I'm going to tell you how to install this other program that's actually way better and actually does what you need to do rather than have me bend to your software conformities. You know?
1: Exactly.
3: So I'm you've so been, happy
2: I've uh, never had to design and point PowerPoint. <laughs> PowerPoint. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah.
3: I what what do you use? Do you use Keynote or do you not make slides?
2: Um, I use Keynote for um, slide presentation, like for conferences and stuff yeah. like that. I always was just a PDF maker though. Prior to that, I would just make PDFs. But um, I'm trying to go slideless more more mm. than ever because I feel like. I can ramble fairly well if (laughs) left my own devices. (laughs) But in general, people like looking at pretty pictures, and also people love like recording slide talks. And if they don't, if they just have your voice over like one black slide that says like "Learn more," you know, it's kind of (laughs) a little weird.
3: (laughs) So you've also done a couple side projects that are are really specific to the internet. You did one, mom. This is how Twitter works. And did you really do that for your mom, or was that? Just, I actually,
2: I actually did really do that for my mom, which was funny because when that site launched, a bunch of feminists wrote me and were like, I we want to get your opinion on this because do you think that you're making the standards of like the woman that doesn't know technology as like the normal stay-at-home mom?" And I was like, "No, this is literally for my mom. Stop reading it."
3: <laughs> and, you
2: know. <laughs> and,
3: and, and then did you add that not just for moms under when that happened too? Because that's what it says. <laughs> yeah, well,
2: everything. I actually I always had it say not just for moms. <laughs> okay. But um, I, I've, I've been, uh, a lot of people were like, you should make Dad This Is How Twitter works. And I was like, that's a great idea. So I think Dad This Is How Twitter works is just going to be like all plaid and like cigars and like super stereotypical dad stuff. But um, yeah, no, I, my mom was using Facebook a lot. And this was prior to, I, like disclosure now, my f- husband works at Facebook. So I was sort of a Facebook hater at the time when I made Mom This Is How Twitter works because this was prior to me declaring Facebook bankruptcy and quitting my Facebook account and just re-signing up and not telling anyone about it. (laughs) Um, So I, uh, I was trying to pull my mom away from Facebook so that she could just pay attention to what I was doing on Twitter and that's how she would keep up with my life stuff but she did not understand how Twitter worked at all so I made the site for her and then also knowing that it would be really helpful to a number of people too. So that's why I like didn't, instead of just making her like a, you know, an email explaining it, I, I put it up online because I figured what I was writing for her would be applicable to other people too. And it was, it's been really fun. It doesn't get a ton of traffic, but people write me all the time and are like, dude, thank you for that. I was totally <laughs> accidentally writing things in public that I did not know I was doing. You know?
3: <laughs> that's great. So, and you did this other one uh, with Russ um, called Don't Fear the Internet. and Indeed. What's that about? How'd that come about?
2: So Don't Fear the Internet came about um, after I had done a couple of my own side projects, which are usually like wordpress based or just like straight up writing HTML based. Um, and I just felt so enamored with the fact that I could do this myself and that you know, I feel like a lot of software companies are always trying to come up with ways to automate everything or trying to make it so that, you know, writing HTML and CSS is like super not sexy and it's not something that you'd ever want to do. And why would you ever want to subject your eyes to looking at code? Blah blah blah. Um, but once I actually found my way into it and found myself doing it, I just felt really, really empowered. And I felt that, you know, I could make anything happen that I wanted to make happen. And I wanted to be able to share that with people that you know not people that were trying to be professional web designers because i didn't want to make it seem like i was you know simplifying something as complicated as like doing actually really intense websites for clients but people that wanted to be able to maintain their own sites that wanted to actually learn how it worked to be able to go into the you know the css or be able to move around php eventually and be able to like work with blog blog p- platforms and you know make what they need to make so we started off i i also I totally strong-armed Russ into doing it with me. I basically <laughs> set up the whole site and was like, "You're doing this with me." And he was like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> but um it started off really simple. You know, we just wanted to explain really basic stuff about the internet and then um we're starting from scratch with HTML and CSS explaining what each of them are, you know, how how HTML, how writing HTML is like building a hamburger, you know, so that whole video we called Hamburger Text Markup Language because it's all about like <laughs> You start the hamburger. You put the <laughs> ingredients in the middle, you know, and then it's all like line items or list items are all the ingredients, you know, and on a list. And then the, you have to end the hamburger; otherwise, your whole life is a perpetual hamburger, you know. <laughs> so it was really fun, and we awesome. had a lot of people write us and be like, "Man, I finally get it! Like, I understand what this sh- means now." And I even had a couple of professors write me. I had a professor from Stanford write me and say that he was using the videos as part of his curriculum, which is <laughs> you know crazy to me. Um, I mean, it's awesome in, in a crazy way. But um, it's, a, it's a slow going project, mostly because the videos just take an outrageous amount of time to do. Yeah. And um, like each of the, you know, we, we write all the scripts first. And we try and be as comprehensive as we can um, with you know small topics at a time, but sometimes those small topics turn into like really massive topics easily because we don't want to, we want to be able to skim over some of the other side stuff that people might be interested in looking into or stuff that might appear in future videos. Um, so when I did the intro to web type one, I didn't even cover web type services. It didn't cover how to install them on your site or anything like that. Right. And even then, that video took about. Thirty hours to actually make, and it's like a fifteen-minute video. So <laughs> yeah. it be, it's a total labor of love, and we have you know no sponsorship for it really, because usually when people have offered to sponsor any of um, my web projects, they offer it as more of a link exchange than as like a monetary sponsorship thing. Mm, and right. also, we we didn't necessarily want to do web sponsorship from stuff like you know uh, web font foundries because then we felt like the information that we would provide would be a little biased. So, um, it's, it's just been really like a really fun personal project and people are just always writing, asking like, when's the next video, when's the next video? Um, but because Russ and I are kind of switching off on it and he has a full-time job and, you know, I do a lot of travel for conferences and also have all my client stuff. It can be a little slow going, but it's, it's definitely one of my favorite projects because I feel like people have really written us and told us how much they, they benefit from it.
3: Yeah, it's, it's great. If, uh, Audience that's listening, you should definitely check this out. I've watched a couple of them and they're they're awesome. So it's really good. Do you have other uh, small projects like this uh, in the in the pipeline?
2: In the pipeline, there's not. I have to kind of. Put, I had to put a little bit of a hiatus <laughs> new projects because oh. I was like, oh my god, I have like thirteen projects going on. Uh. <laughs> so uh, I, I think. I, I'm a little hesitant to set up anything else that's new at the moment, mostly right. because I would really love to be able to devote a little more time to dump for the internet, and um, you know, be able to work on a few smaller lettering projects and some typefaces that I have that I've started that I haven't finished yet. Um, but I do have another side project in the works with um, another developer friend of mine, which I am not going to talk about here, but it will be very helpful for me and hopefully for other people too.
1: Well, you also have a uh, site just dedicated to ideas that you wish people. Could uh, steal, right? Like-
2: oh, I used I used to have that up. I'm actually okay. going to reinstitute it on okay. my site. I think it was like a blog feature that I had for a while. It was yeah. called "Steal My Idea." Yeah. And anytime that I had like a random idea that I thought would be really helpful, I would post it up there. So I was actually listening to um, a, a political podcast today, and someone was and they were talking about education. Um, and the, one of the main contributors on on the podcast was saying, like, you know, it sucks because there's no Yelp for colleges. And I'm like, boom, steal my idea. Yelp for college. (laughs) (laughs) But that stuff always happens. And it's one of those things like I love I loved having that column on my site because I do always have these like sort of harebrained ideas sometimes that I wish could be real, but I just don't have the bandwidth to be able to set up as another project that I'm self managing. Right. So I'm always sort of happy to like if something can exist, it should exist, and I don't necessarily have to be the person that made it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that'll I think that'll be back on my site soon. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, like, that's what I want to get get to because like you have you you you've got these side projects and we talked about some of them and they're they're awesome and and you know I'm just you know I'm just. I don't know. If other people are just like me, but like I've always had ideas for side projects too. But you, you found a way to like you know persevere and get them out there. Is it just like you just do you just like pound on them until they're done, or do you just you know do you you know like like what's a typical workday? I guess for you, Do you just like work long hours every day just to get out there, or or you know like like how do you?
2: When I when I started out, I was working insane hours. Like for the entire time that I was living in New York, I was working really really crazy hours because when I worked for Louise, I was working from 9 to 6 for her and then coming home and working from like 7 until 2 or 3 in the morning sometimes. And then every weekend I would work at least one full day on the weekend, um usually like a day and a half on the weekend. And that went on for like 3 years. Um so that's how my portfolio my portfolio really grew um so quickly was just I was putting in just so many hours yeah. and then after I left working for Louise I was still working pretty intensely um and it wasn't until recently that I've you know been able to not keep as crazy hours and part of that is because when I do work on my client projects I am so much more efficient than I used to be and that's just because I have been so specific about the kind of work that I take on. You know, if I was really doing a lot of experimental crazy stuff with my client work, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I wouldn't be able to work as quickly and I wouldn't be able to get as much done or be able to, you know, take on projects that I know I can, you know, work efficiently on and do a great job on because I'm well-practiced in what they are in order to make money to fund my own personal <laughs> side project time. Um, And when the side projects ideas pop up, what ends up happening is if if it's not something that I can accomplish in like three or four days, it doesn't happen. Mm. Um, And that's just, I I just know in my heart that I cannot devote the kind of time to actually make a massive project that is super involved um, because I just don't have, I don't have the patience for it. I don't, I'm not, I'm very ADD about my side project stuff. And because it's only usually me, I'm not working in tandem with another person for the most part. You know, if if it can't be live in three or four days, it's not going to happen, and that's when it becomes steal my idea like material. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but pretty much all my projects that I've worked on, you know, Inker Linker, I made in a weekend. That one's a site where you can find printers. Um, don't fear the internet. While it's a massive time commitment to keep it ongoing. You know, setting it up originally was not that much of a time commitment. Um, should I work for free? you know it took me a couple hours to make the original flowchart and then nine hours or so to make it into HTML CSS and now it just lives online. Um, the mom, this is how Twitter works. that probably took me like eight hours or something to get it from start to finish, including all the writing. So whenever I can do something in a day or two, like that's when a, and, and it can exist as like a singular thing that doesn't need to be updated. That's when the projects are like a lot easier for me to put up and maintain. But um, when it is sort of an ongoing thing that that needs to be updated frequently, that needs to be you know honed over and and maintained a lot, like those are the projects that are you know a little more intimidating and things that don't necessarily get started.
1: <laughs> well, like yeah, I mean, like that's that's awesome. Like so, like it's a good way just to have like a to limit yourself and say like you know if I can't get it done in three or four days, uh, make sure. But it's also sh- shows that you know in order to do to become you know have a really good stature like just you have to like work hard and you know and hustle and and, and just you know just pound it out pretty much
2: but, Yeah exactly uh, and those 3 or 4 days are like Me waking up at eight and getting excited to work on it, and working at my studio until seven, and then eating dinner, and then coming home and working from eight until two in the morning. You know, (laughs) just because I'm like, oh my god, I'm so excited! It looks so much better now. La la la. And a a big thing with all that stuff was I was really. That's when I was learning HTML and CSS. So it was really exciting to be able to use these new skills that I was learning and to have a way to teach myself all those things as I was working. And I think that um, you know that's that's a big part of learning any new tech language. Is that if you have a project to actually devote, you know, you're learning to, you're so much more committed than if you're just reading or you're just trying to learn it in like more of a theoretical way. You know, the the more practical and hands-on you can be, and the more it's satisfying, actually, something in your life that needs to be satisfied, um, the more devoted you will be to like learning at 24 seven.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I think uh, it's a good that's a good point to try to wrap things up a little bit. Um, uh, we we do ask one question of. Um, of our, of our guests is just what are you most passionate about? I know you have like a million side projects, probably, so your attention's probably uh, you know in multiple places, but what's the one thing that you're like really passionate about right now
2: I think the I mean the biggest thing that I'm most passionate about is just making things that inform or delight people. That is just my primary passion when I get emails from people telling me that something that I made that's lettering just was like amazing and made them motivated to do their own work or you know, like that totally motivates me. And then when I make, when I do any sort of writing that's meant to be helpful to other people and people write me and tell me that, you know, they learned so much in that article and that they shared it with their professors, you know, that's super motivating. When I can make a side project that, you know, I'm able to make it as a, as a, a reference for people all in the future, you know, when, when your friends ask you like, oh, you know, I really want to learn how to do this thing. How do I learn it? And, and if that can become one of those things that they reference... You know, that, is, that makes me super motivated. So I think my, my major thing is like, I love being able to, you know, have an impact on people, you know, by either like helping them get educated, by helping them feel better about the work that they're doing, by, you know, even just making something pretty that just makes their day feel better. You know, I think that's just my major passion for sure. <laughs> cool.
1: Awesome. Uh, yeah. And uh, how could people find you on the internet, um, you know, in, or on Twitter?
2: Sure thing. They can find me on my website at jessicahish, that's h-i-s-c-h-e dot is slash awesome. Or on Twitter at jessicahish. So that's j-e-s-s-i-c-a h-i-s-c-h-e.
1: Cool. Well, thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you, guys. Jessica. It was
1: really great talking to you. Cool.
2: Yeah, great talking to you, too. Sorry I talked your ear off. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. that's,
1: that's what a podcast is all about. Okay. And uh, Special thanks to Chris from Canada for pushing the buttons behind the scenes. You can follow him on Twitter at iChris on your iDevice of choice. And thanks to you, the listeners. Uh, it would be great if you could rate us up on iTunes. It does help us get the word out about the show in addition to uh, mentioning it on Twitters and the, the Facebooks. And, uh, and thanks again, Jessica, for, for being with us today.
2: Well, thanks, you guys.
1: Awesome. Until next time.